0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today.
1: All right. Thank you, Jacob. Let's take our Bible this morning and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. I've entitled the message this morning, Does God really care about you? Matthew chapter 10 verse 29, I'll read through verse 31. Our Lord Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Now, I had no idea what a farthing was. I knew it was uh, obviously a amount of money, so I did just a, just a quick uh, research this morning, and what I came up with that a farthing was about in our money today was about 12 cents. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? Now, when I thought about the selling of these sparrows, I couldn't help but think of one of the mission trips that I took to Cambodia and we went down to the market and there in the market there were all kinds of things being sold. There were scorpions that were roasted, that were being sold. There was all kinds of insects, uh, spiders that were uh, roasted and were being sold and there was uh, one vendor that had all these little sparrows that were roasted and they were on a skewer And you could take them and you could just eat them whole like that. Now, I don't know if that's something that's uh, common over there in the Middle East, but are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? That is, our heavenly father's knowledge of that. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more valuable of more value than many sparrows. Does God really care about you? Absolutely. But when we're going through real low points in our lives, and, and let's be honest, we all go through times when we are really down, we're really low. Maybe some real trial has come into our life, or some sickness has come, or... Um, maybe some catastrophe has has happened in our lives. And during those times, we are tempted. Satan really does tempt us to wonder if we really matter to God. Does God really care about us? Or has God in some way abandoned us during these difficult times? Let me ask you a question. The Bible says that Jesus was Not a high priest who could not be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted like as we, yet he was without sin. So think about this. Did Jesus ever feel abandoned by his heavenly Father? Well, the answer to that obviously is yes. We just celebrated Easter last week, and during our celebration I read through much of the Easter story. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou, what? Forsaken me. Now we know a synonym of forsaken would be abandoned. God, why have you abandoned me here on the cross? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Well, we know that the father had not abandoned his son. Ephesians 1 verse 20 says this, which he, God, wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. He did not abandon the Lord Jesus. Now I came across 24 passages of scripture that tell us that God raised Christ from the dead. In Christ's humanity, he felt abandoned at that time when he was on the cross and the father turned his back upon him because he was our sin bearer. But it was obvious that the Father did not abandon him because he raised him from the dead. Now, some of the greatest saints in the Bible endured unimaginable times of suffering. And during those times of suffering, they actually doubted God's love for them. Actually felt the same as Jesus felt like like God had abandoned them during some of the most difficult times of their life. Let's take Job, for example. I think we're all familiar with the Job story and how Job felt abandoned by God. In chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Job, we know that Job went through unbelievable trials. He Let's kind of go through the list here. He was one of the four most wealthiest men in all the world. He was the wealthiest man in the East, the Bible says. He lost all of his finances. He lost all of his workers. He lost all of his children. Ten children died in one day. He lost his house. He lost his health. And the only thing that he was left with was a wife that said, curse God and die. He had boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. And in this state of misery, we then spill into chapter 3. And notice what it says in chapter 3, after this opened Job his mouth. Now, I'm going to take time this morning to read these first 11 verses in chapter 3. I think it's very significant for us to understand Job was a man just like we are. And he went through this questioning, does God care about me or has God completely abandoned me during this time in my life? He said, after this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which it was said, there is a man child conceived. Let the day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it Let a cloud dwell upon it. He's talking about the day of his birth. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice... Excuse me, come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day, a double curse, who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark, and let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day, because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from my eyes? Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like a man who's totally defeated and discouraged? A man who feels like God has completely forsaken him and he wishes he never would have been born. If you were to jump into chapter three in verse eight, he says this, behold, I go forward, but he, God is not there. And I go backwards, but I cannot perceive him on the left hand. Where doth he work? But I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand. I cannot see him totally, completely thinking that God has given up on him. But was that true? No, it wasn't. And then he said these words, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. No, the Lord had not forsaken Job, even though he felt like at that time the Lord had. You know, one thing I'm thankful about the Bible is the Bible is an honest book. It tells you exactly how even some of the great men and women of faith felt. What about David? We have Job. There was none like him in all the earth, God said to Satan. We think of David, a man after God's own heart, but was there ever a time in David's life where he felt like God had forsaken him and abandoned him and given up on him? Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2. How long wilt thou forget me, David says? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, how long are you going to abandon me? Psalm 22, we think of this as being a prophetic psalm, and it certainly was. But it was the heart of David. He said, my God, my God, my Why hast thou forsaken me? The exact words that Jesus uttered on the cross. Why art thou so far from helping me? God, I need you, but you're not here. The same thing that Job said. The same thing that Christ said. Why art thou far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night seasons, I am not silent. He said, day and night, I'm, I'm calling upon the Lord to help me, but he's not here. Now, let me ask a question of you again. Was that true? Had God completely abandoned David? No. Just like he had not abandoned Job. That's why David said these words. He said, I have been young, and now I am old. And yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Yes, we do go through those times in our life, those difficult times, those times of crisis where it does seem like God is afar off, that he has abandoned us, that he doesn't care, he's not listening to us, he's not helping us. Listen, but that's not true. We have Job, we have David. What about the Apostle Paul? He must have certainly felt abandoned by God when he wrote these words to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and the day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren." in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care, that burden of all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? And then he said this, and I burn not you've heard the expression boy did I ever get burnt I can't imagine how Paul must have just felt at those moments as he's recounting all of these events of his life where where is God think about this Paul was arrested and imprisoned we know on three different occasions We know he spent at least five and a half years locked up in prison and then was beheaded. Think about all the things we complain about. Had God forsaken Paul? Had he forsaken him in the shipwreck? Had he forsaken him when he was left for dead? Had he forsaken the apostle while he was locked up in prison? Well, what's the answer to that? No, God had not forsaken him. It may have appeared like the Lord did, but he had not. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 says this, Paul speaking, personal testimony, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, then he says this, but not forsaken. It seemed like he was, but he wasn't. Cast down, but not destroyed. Think of what he wrote to Timothy. The last words to flow off of the pen of the Apostle Paul before he gave his life for the cause of Christ there in prison and was beheaded. He said this, His heart aches. He said, Demas, my beloved Demas, my co-worker in the ministry. He said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Then he gives a list of several other men who had not necessarily forsaken Paul, but had gone their own way, gone into their own ministries, and left him all alone. Later in the chapter, says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And then I love this. I pray that God may not lay that to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. Well, who was that lion that walks round about seeking whom he may devour? No, the Lord had not forsaken him. And he realized that the Lord stood with him. Romans chapter 8, a very familiar passage of scripture to us that really has encouraged us. It, it runs through verse 35 through verse 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution, it may seem like it at that time, but, or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake they are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the truth of Scripture? Nothing, nothing will ever cause our God to abandon us. Nothing will ever separate us from His loving care. We sing this song. I love this song. Does Jesus care? Listen to the words. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep dark shades... Does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When, my deep, for, when for my deep grief there is no relief and my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my sad heart aches? Till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? I think we all ask those questions. But then comes the chorus. Oh yes he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary. I know. My Savior cares. Have you ever felt abandoned? If you've walked with the Lord Jesus for any length of time, I'm sure if you were honest, you would say yes. We remember that poem that came out years ago, Footprints in the Sand. When it seemed like the Lord had abandoned us, it was then He was really carrying us through. When we were little, we, we learned the very first song in church, Jesus loves me. What? This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm so glad that the Bible tells me that Jesus loves me and that He'll never forsake me. But during the hardships and the difficulties of life, the trials and adversities and sufferings that come our way, unless we cast down that imagination that God has somehow abandoned us, Satan is going to use that in a powerful way to establish a stronghold in our life and to defeat us. Many a Christian has become defeated because they believe the lie that God has forsaken them. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God tells me he will never leave me or forsake me. But Satan will come and he will lie to you and tell you, oh yes he has. And unless we cast that down and bring every thought into the captivity of Christ... Satan will gain an advantage over us. The Lord has not promised us, church, an easy life. Those health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preachers, that's another gospel that they're preaching. God's Word says many are the afflictions of the righteous. There are many. So God did not promise us an easy life, but he did promise us that even in the middle of trials, we can know for certainty that we matter to him. The psalm that we quote almost for every funeral service, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art what, church? Thou art with me. That is not a psalm for the dead. (laughs) They're with the Lord. That's a psalm for the living. Thou art with me. We matter to God. When something matters to you, it means it's important to you. My children and my wife matter to me. They are important to me. My grandchildren are important to me. You, my church family, you are important to me. You matter to me. But more than my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my church, we matter to God. He loves us more than we could ever, ever imagine. Now there's some truths of Scripture that I really want you to wrap your heart and your mind around as we work our way through this message this morning. And the first one is that God knows each one of us intimately. He knows each one of us intimately. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1 says this, Thus saith the Lord that created thee and that formed thee? Fear not, for I hath redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. He knows each one of us intimately. John says he is our shepherd and we are his sheep, and he calleth his own sheep by name and he leadeth them out. A stranger they will not follow because they know not the voice of a stranger. We're not a stranger to God. He knows everything about us. He knows us intimately. Remember, even every hair on our head is numbered. In the mornings when you comb your hair and maybe one lets loose, For some of you, there's been more than one that is let loose. (coughs) But think about this our omniscient God knows the number of every hair on my head, He knows me intimately. Job said, He knows every step that I'll take in my life. That's crazy. Job said, he knows my days, my months, and my years. There's nothing about you or about me that God does not know. He knows our sins, every one of them. He knows all of our failures, every one of them. He knows all of our weaknesses, every one of them. But even though He knows every one of our sins, our failures, and our weaknesses, He loves us, He forgives us, and we are of value to Him. What an incredible thought. The unconditional love of God. Psalm 139 is such an amazing psalm. I think there's 24 verses in all. But the first four verses, I wish we had time to read it all. But, O Lord, Thou hast searched me, and You've known me. Thou knowest my down sittings. Think of it. every time we sit down, God knows. Thou, You know my uprisings. Every time we stand up, He knows. Thou searchest my thoughts afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but thou, O Lord, knowest it altogether." Just think if I knew you as intimately as God knows me. What if I knew all your thoughts? What if I knew all of the words that you have spoken? I don't think we'd all would love each other as much as we do right now if we all knew everything that someone else thinks about us. I'm sure there's times if the church house was full like it usually is on a Sunday and preachers preaching and I'm looking out there and I'm trying to, you know, really connect with you and I see some of those looks on your faces, some of them are like, those looks could kill. I wonder how it would feel if I knew exactly what you were thinking at that time. I wonder how you would feel if you knew exactly what I was thinking at that time about you. He knows all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our weaknesses, and He loves us anyway. But God commendeth his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John said, and we have known and believed. See, there's one thing to know, there's another thing to believe. He said, he said, for we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Do you know? And do you believe the love that God has for you? Psalm 103. I know I'm just dumping a ton. I'm I'm hardly preaching at all. I'm just giving you scripture here today. But Psalms 103, verse 10 through verse 14 says this, He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Iniquities are those things we know we shouldn't do. We just downright rebel and we do them anyway. So he hasn't even dealt with us according to our rebellion against him. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. I couldn't help but think of the song, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. (coughs) For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father... Pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And then he ends it in verse 4 by saying, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. You know what we are? We're just a bunch of sinners saved by the grace of God. He knows us intimately. He knows our sins, our failures, our our weaknesses. He knows everything we think and everything we have ever said. He is acquainted with all of our ways, everything that we do. (coughs) And yet he loves us anyway. Even during times when we go through great pain and sorrow and suffering, and even though maybe we've brought those things upon ourselves because of our stupidity, because of our own sin, and we're now reaping the consequences of our sinful behavior, our Heavenly Father still cares for us, and His promises have not failed. He said to Joshua, I will be with thee, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. <coughs> he knows us intimately, but He loves us anyway. Here's a passage that I used during one of our devotionals a couple weeks ago, Isaiah 43, is a beautiful chapter. He said, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God. Waters, rivers, fires, things are getting worse and worse. And yet the Lord said, I haven't abandoned you. I'm your God. Well, if God has promised that he will never leave us, and He'll never forsake us, the Bible says, for He is faithful that promised. He is going to be faithful to that promise that He has made to us, and because of that, we can hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Don't, listen, don't waver in this area of your Christian life. He is faithful that promised. Numbers 23 and verse 19 says, For God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken, and shall He not make it good? We're not always true to our word, are we? Sometimes we promise things and then we just have an inability. To follow through on those promises. But if God promised it, you can count on it. Moses encourages the children of Israel along with Joshua with these words in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel, and he said unto them, I am. 120 years old this day. He was having a birthday. I was on the phone yesterday with uh, Pastor Peterson. He is now 96 years of age, and he wanted to know how he could get his tithes and offerings here to the church, 96 years of age. Moses said, I'm 120 years old. It's my birthday today he said, and I could no more go out and come in. My ministry is over. He is worn out. Also the Lord has said unto me, thou shalt not go over this Jordan. We know why he wasn't allowed into the promised land. The Lord thy God, he will go over before thee and he will destroy These nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before thee, as the Lord has said. And then he lists the nations that the Lord will defeat for them as they enter the promised land. And then he said, "This be strong and of good courage; fear not, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God." He it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for thou must go (coughs) with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord... He it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. The same promise that Moses gave to the children of Israel and to Joshua is the same promise God gives to us, exactly the same. God then speaks to Joshua personally, not just through Moses, but personally speaks to Joshua and tells him, Moses, my servant is, is dead. And how God had then chosen, I don't have time to read all this, God had chosen Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He, he then defines the borders of the land, which by the way, still applies today. Again, I wish I had time to go through that, but I don't. From Lebanon, the rivers Euphrates, to the land of the Hittites, to the great sea. This shall be your coast. And then he says this, And there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as it was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. God said to Isaiah, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. I'm with you always, at all times. There will, never, there will never be a time in your life that I will not be with you, Jesus said. John speaks to his readers when he was somewhere between 80 and 90 years old. He's an old man as he's writing 1 John. He said, Behold, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I'm going to tell you something. Once you become a child of God, you will never cease to be a child of God. And the Gospel of John said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. There is absolutely no way I'll ever abandon them. David's words, for the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. We are his people and we are his inheritance. The words of Jeremiah, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. We take all of this that I've just said this morning. And we have searched the scriptures from the Old Testament into the New Testament and the truth has been consistent from one covenant to the other. This is all foundational to the great doctrine of eternal security. Now, the the phrase eternal security is not found in the Bible but eternal life is. Eternal salvation is. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Why? Because he'll never leave us or forsake us. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my father's hand. You talk about security. Some 30 years ago when I was a young man in the ministry, believe it or not, I was a young man at one time. And as a young man in the ministry, I was often challenged with certain doctrinal issues. I don't really receive those challenges anymore. I think people just know that I believe what I believe and I'm not going to change. But one of the doctrines that I was challenged with was the doctrine of eternal security. See, I always believed that if you were lost, you could be saved, but if you were saved, you never could be lost. I always believed that. And so as I was being challenged in that area, I decided, you know what, I I better come up with my own personal conviction about this based upon the scriptures. Not just say I believe in eternal security, but then be able to express why I believe in eternal security and really that's what I've done today by just going throughout all the Bible and looking at the promises of God but believe it or not I came up with 80 reasons why a believer cannot lose their salvation now don't don't worry I'm not going to preach all 80 of these Although each one of them could be a message in and of itself. But I would just like to read to you quickly why no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. Why we are so eternally secure in Christ. Why once he's our Heavenly Father, he will always and forever be our Heavenly Father. number one to 80. The Bible said we can know that we have eternal life. We can have that full assurance. We are born again. Once you are born, you can't be unborn. We are saved by grace. We are saved through faith apart from the works of the law or our good deeds. Salvation is a gift of God if a gift could be taken away from you, then it really wasn't a gift, was it? The Bible said we are preserved in Christ Jesus. We are called. We are predestinated. We are elected. We are under the blood of the new covenant. We are married to Christ. We are his bride, never to be divorced by him. When we are not faithful, he remains faithful. We are sealed under the day of redemption. We are given the earnest or the promise of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt with the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said he will never take from us. God's seed, the Holy Spirit remains in us. We are saved to the uttermost. We have eternal redemption in Christ. We are reconciled to God through Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. Christ has become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We're at number 19, by the way. We are clothed in the white robe of Christ's righteousness. We are holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. We are perfected forever. Our sin and our iniquity, he will remember no more. Our sin is buried in the deepest sea. Christ has blotted out the handwriting, the ordinances that was against us, and he took it out of the way, and he nailed it to his cross. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have remission of sins by the blood of Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. We have experienced regeneration our old man is dead and the new man is alive. We have been crucified with Christ. Our names are written in the book of life, never to be blotted out. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us, we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. Our sin debt was paid in full by Christ's shed blood. We are kept by the power of God. We are forgiven past, present, and future. We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. We are complete in Christ. God always causes us to triumph in Christ. We are promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. Our life is hid with Christ in God. We are no longer under the curse of the law. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are given the promise of eternal life. If you could lose it, it's no longer eternal. We will never perish. No man can pluck us out of our Father's hand. He'll in no wise cast us out. We've been adopted into the family of God. Justified, glorified, and sanctified. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. By the way, we're on 54 now. Christ is our advocate, he's our propitiation. Christ died once and for all as a sacrifice for sin. We have peace through the blood of his cross. Our hearts never need to be troubled. We are confirmed to the end, translated into the kingdom of his dear son, seated with Christ in heavenly places, transferred from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, from death to life. We are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. Nothing can be laid to the charge of God's elect. We can lose the joy of our salvation, but we can't lose our salvation. Believers that are backslidden only need to be restored to fellowship, not to salvation. Even carnal believers in Corinth were called saints. Being confident of this very thing, our salvation, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. We are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Paul said, for I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. God has pardoned all of our sin and our iniquity. Salvation is of the Lord. The immutability of God secures our salvation. If you believe you must maintain your salvation by good works or not sinning, then you are placing confidence in your flesh. And God's word says, have no confidence in the flesh. We are the body of Christ. If you could lose your salvation, then Christ's body would have to be dismembered. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And number 80... Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Say, what do you believe in, preacher? I believe in the finished work of Christ on Calvary. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. How can you lose your salvation when your salvation does not in the slightest depend upon any human effort or merit? Salvation is 100% based upon the merit of Christ, not upon us. If you could commit a sin that could cause you to lose your salvation, you know what you've discovered? You have discovered a sin that's more powerful than the blood of Christ. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin.